This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. The key to sustainable leadership lies in the ability to thrive in uncertainty, ambiguity, and change. Grand Heron International brings you the Coaching Assistance Program, giving your employees on-demand coaching to manage through a challenging situation and arrive at a solution. Visit grandheroninternational.ca slash podcast to learn more. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, the podcast dedicated to leadership development and leadership insights. I'm your host, Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. How can you and I lead effectively in the 21st century? My guest today is Dost Dennis. He has more than 7,000 hours of coaching experience, and he's earned the highest level certification from the International Coach Federation. He is a master certified coach, the first in his country. He coaches top leaders and leadership teams across the globe. He will share strategies he uses to help these leaders with us today. Dost, welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast. Hi, Edu. Thank you very much for having me. I am so excited that you and I are getting a chance to have this time together today. And I just want to let everybody know how we met. You and I were both a part of a very special program. In fact, why don't you tell our listeners about that? Yes. I mean, it really was a very special program. It was a executive education program in Harvard University's Kennedy School run by and designed by one of the leading, I think, leading thinkers in the science of leadership and actually the practice of leadership. Actually, the course was called The Art and Practice of Leadership Development, and it was run by Ronald Heifetz. And that's where we met. And you were actually sitting just behind me, and it was such a joy to meet you, Eddie. I just just remember, you know, you are, you are the, one of the few people that I remember first when I think of the class. <laughs> well, thank you, Dost. You're very kind. You're one of the first people I think of as well, which is why I invited you on the Keep Lady podcast. But I also invited you because you've got an incredible background and you're doing some fascinating work. So as we jump into the interview, can you just share a little bit about your background uh, with my listeners so they understand who you are and all that you've accomplished? Yes, thank you very much. I'm an executive coach. I'm an actually an executive and leadership coach. And I work with basically... I mean, I'm based in Istanbul, Turkey, and I basically work with people all around the world. And most of them are actually a sizable chunk are leaders of their company, either CEOs, presidents, you know, um, and sometimes they are like new presidents, new CEOs. And I work with them to actually help them create like meaningful change first in themselves, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, developing what needs to be developed 
to actually make a meaningful change in their companies, in their teams. And I usually end up working with their teams as well. So I work as an executive team coach as well. But I never work with a team unless I'm working with a leader. So it's part of the, the deal. It's part of my work while I help these people really create meaningful change for themselves. And by meaningful, I mean a change not only produces more money, but also produces more well-being, I would call it, for the people, for the community they are serving, for their customers. So that's basically the work I did for the last 17 years. And before that, I was actually, myself was an executive. I was working in the banking sector. I mean, hard to believe, but I was a trader myself. You know, I was working as a chief trader at a bank, at an investment bank. And before that, I actually was trained in engineering, which is also another career. So I have like three different, you know, paths in my own path, which, you know, kind of flows like one path towards future. Yeah, I noticed that when I was looking at your profile that you have a, an undergraduate degree in engineering, you've gotten an MBA, and you've got a whole slew of credentials. And so, yeah, I didn't know, understand that you actually had worked in finance. I missed that part. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. So you were a financial executive, you understand mm-hmm. technology, and then mm-hmm. somehow you decided that you wanted to go from actually working as an executive to coaching executives. Uh, what caused that to come about? Well, I mean, it's... It, Looks a little bit like luck, but you know, I as 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 far as much as I was working as a trader, and I was you know, I was, I said I was happy with it. I also was uh, always in my whole career, especially when I started managing. I was part of big organizational change projects, you know, and um, kind of from so many new teams. And I mean, I didn't leave the banking sector to become a consultant, you know, I kind of left it because I wasn't happy with my last job and I also wanted to maybe, you know, start my own fund, like a hedge fund or something. But after I left the the post, I actually went into this kind of what I will call the uh, personal odyssey. You know, I, was, I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy with what's going on. So I kind of started looking into how things are that actually ended up being into a soul search into what I really want to do. And I realized the most I was happy with when I was an executive to help develop people or, you know, really be this kind of big organizational change projects. And I was also doing all these workshops. I was actually having working with a therapist slash coach. I mean, she called herself a therapist, but she basically was doing coaching. So that got my interest. So I actually ended up going into coaching like I think I think like now it's been nearly 18 19 years and I've been I mean that really felt like home to me and I've been only doing you know you know basically doing executive coaching for the last 17 and a half years now and that's the only thing I did for that 17 years I mean being of, of course a coach and a consultant and, and nothing to do with finance except for coaching to sign up finance executives. So that's basically the story. Well, that's very impressive, Dost. And I'll tell you something. When I saw that you had 7,000 hours, that just blew me away. In the program uh, that we did at Harvard, it was very clear immediately that you were one of the more experienced people in the program. And that right as we were doing that program, I think I had only been a year removed from completing my certification. 
but mm-hmm. it was clear that you were head and shoulders above everyone else. And so I want to say congratulations, by the way, I read that you are not just a coach of 7,000 hours, that you actually are a master certified coach with the International Coach Federation. Can you tell my listeners why that's a big deal? Well, I mean, one thing ICF, the International Coach Federation, does very well is they have devised a way to really, for coaches, you know, for aspiring coaches to aspire, you know, they have devised a way to certify or them, uh, you know, us, I mean, in a way that actually helps them to know what to learn, you know, what to master, you know, what to do with, with our career, because I think that's the most important thing in our occupation. You know, there are many people who are calling themselves coaches without proper, I would say, preparation and education and experience. So, and Master Certified Coach credential is the highest credential ICF offers. It is only offered when you complete at least 2,500 hours of coaching other people, you know, and you also have to complete a certain hours of training. I think it's something around 200 hours of coach training. And the other part is you have to pass an exam, which it's not only a written exam. You have to demonstrate your ability that you are coaching at the level ICF has designed or uh, acknowledged as this is what we call masterful coaching. So that's what an MCC is. You have to, you know, pass through all these hurdles And when I got the MCC, I think there was like only 600 or so people in the world. Now it's a little bit more, but I think MCC level or certification is is a good, good aspiration for all coaches who really want to show they are really investing in the patient, really investing in themselves, and they are really interested in really helping people you know, whatever the niche they are working at, really helping those people move forward and to they are really wanting to give their best to their clients, give their best to the, the coaching occupation. For me, that's the philosophy of MCC because the prices I charge or the number of clients before I got an MCC and after an MCC weren't really different. What was different is this certification actually shows my commitment to the occupation, shows my commitment to my own development and shows my commitment to my clients, actually. Good, good, good. And so, as you mentioned, when you got there, about 600 people that had it. If my stats are right, there are almost 30,000 credentialed coaches in Mm -hmm. the ICF's community and less than... 1% or only about a thousand have the MCC credential. So you are truly above everyone else from a credential standpoint. You have that credential, as you mentioned, that people are aspiring to, because there's three different levels in the ICF. ACC is the first level. PCC Mm -hmm. is the second level. And you have to have at least 2,500 paid hours of coaching in addition to 200 hours of being trained, passed an exam, as you mentioned, to achieve the MCC. So it's not something that somebody can just show up and and a year later uh, achieve. Mm -hmm. As you have demonstrated aptly, it takes years of actual practical experience, delivering coaching, and Mm -hmm. ICF has done an amazing job of bringing credibility to the coaching profession. Mm -hmm. So congratulations on that. And then also something else, not only are you one of the rare MCCs, but you were the first one in the nation of Turkey. That's correct. Yes. I mean, 
it's a chronological thing. It's a time thing. I was one of the first people who actually started in coaching in Turkey. You know, so that gave me the opportunity to, to be the first one. Excellent. Well, that's no small feat, my friend. So congratulations. Thank you very much, Eddie. Now, I read your white paper about leadership in the 21st century. It's really well done. I was reading that and just was like, wow, this is just incredible work that DOS has done. So can you talk about what the real work of leadership in the 21st century is? The real work of leadership, Eddie, is which I like. There's, there's a saying that I use a lot, which I love. And the sentence is, you know, if you are one step ahead, you're a leader. If you're 10 steps ahead, you're a target. So, the, <laughs> yes. So, as our Dr. Heifetz says, if you're not disturbing anyone, you know, you are not leading. So, the work of leadership is basically moving forward, making some change, which will disturb people, but which is necessary, which also always includes moving outside the borders or the boundaries of order and moving into a chaos a little bit, you know. You know, change needs chaos and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of our leadership theory or all the people who are actually elected into office or being appointed to the office, they are appointed to that office or elected for that office, not to create chaos, but create order. And that we expect them to actually move us to to the better place in an orderly way, which won't be totally possible. You know, moving to a better place always requires some element of chaos to it. So the the real work of leadership to me is how can I bounce, how can I dance in that boundary of order and chaos so we could create some kind of meaningful change. And if I go move too much into chaos, I will probably be disturbing people at more than at the, the rate they can tolerate. So I will be at the 10 steps ahead point, and I've then become a target. So that's kind of how I define it. And that's the way that I try to help my clients. If you're one step ahead, you're a leader. If you're 10 steps ahead, you're a target. What a great quote. And I appreciate you interjecting what Dr. Heifetz taught us there is that we must learn to disappoint people at a rate they can stand. And this whole idea about building a space for disequilibrium to exist, because unless we shake people up, we really aren't leading. And so uh, I love that, how you put that in. Controlling chaos. Exactly. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight that. The order and chaos is like, you know, the yin and yang and, you know, all that stuff. It's already in our culture, you know, in the collective human culture. And a leader will be as effective as they were able to see the amount of need for order they have and the need for order that their people have and the amount of cows that's needed for anything good to come about. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dose. So what we're going to do right now is pause for a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the Leadership Accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. All right, we are back with Dulce Dennis. 
He is a master certified coach, the first in the country of Turkey. And he is an executive and leadership coach, among other things that he does. And so happy to have him talking to us about leadership in the 21st century. So before the break, Dos, you were talking about what that really means in terms of leadership. And you highlighted some of the things that we learned in our program there at Harvard. But now I'd like to just ask a little bit different perspective that you bring. You're one of the few people that can speak multiple languages and you therefore teach and consult and coach across the world. You actually deliver curriculum here in North America. And you also do your work, of course, there in multiple countries there in Europe and the Middle East. Are you seeing a tremendous difference in what leadership is as you travel the globe? I mean, Eddie, I would say yes and no. The world is becoming just like a global village, you know. So when I do work in, you know, North America and I, when I do work in, for example, in Baku, Azerbaijan or in Dubai, you know, we're basically talking about the same stuff, you know, and um, in a way, you know, we're all talking about how to create meaningful change. We're talking about how to lead in a way that people give you informal authority, you know, or informal authority to be able to create, to change, to be able to lead people to, to your vision, to a better place. So I think these are the same. What is different in my perspective is you know, for example, I'm just going to deliver a training in Thailand like a week from today. You know, I will be in Thailand. I will be working with a group that it will be Thai people. And I'm just, you know, it's, it will be my first time in the Thai culture. And I think the biggest difference is the people's approach to authority, you know. And there are many other cultural aspects and we could use all these, you know, different models like the five-factor model and all that stuff. But one thing I always, I'm, I'm kind of cognizant of or, or just watching to see is how this culture and that culture also be in a kind of, you know, company's culture in, in a certain country like in Turkey as well or in United States, how this culture is responding to authority. You know, that I think is a major difference, even though, even though the differences are even diminishing over the years, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, like, you know, working in Azerbaijan in a, in a Baku company, the power difference would have been much bigger compared to today. And it will be different in a, you know, like more Westernly oriented company than a more traditional company in Azerbaijan and Turkey. That will be again different. But one thing I always watch is how are these people are responding to authority? How are these people are, are dependent on authority? What's the level that people can say can be themselves in the face of authority? That's a big difference, I think. That's a big you know? difference indeed. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, that is a very valid point you make. And I like mm-hmm. how you've highlighted that the frame of reference they have toward an authority figure. And exactly. I've seen that in my work. Now, I, I travel the world, but I do it virtually. You do it face to face. And when I go in any of the programs I deliver, I'm doing it in English, hoping that they can take on my language. Right. But you're actually yeah. doing it in people's language. But I'm seeing in the work that I do with leaders in different parts of the world, to your point, that sometimes even when we talk about being a leader, it's mm-hmm. a bad word because in their nation, the leaders are not anybody you want to copy. So, yeah, it really is. Or in other cases, people not wanting to challenge authority because it's considered almost irreverent to to do such a thing. But we're taught to do things differently. And 
certainly that program that we attended, the word authority took on a whole new meaning and dynamic mm-hmm. the way Dr. Heifetz lays it out. Exactly. Well, I also am curious because you've done some work around neurology and you talk about this in your white paper. Can you talk about the role that neurology plays in leadership development? Yeah. I mean, I say I came to see, I mean, I'm trained in Gestalt. I'm trained in different many modalities. But even though we talk about psychology, I think the neurology or the biology is, is like the lowest system. And the most primal the system is they, it has more control. So the conversation around, the, you know, this emotional intelligence has really made this, this part of the brain, you know, the, the primal part of the brain, the amygdala, and its relationship to the environments we find. And that became really famous, you know, thanks to the work of Dr. Goldman, Richard Baratis, and all, all these people. Mm-hmm. But I really need a lot in my work, you know, people is they find themselves in this VUCA environments, which, I mean, I really love that abbreviation. You know, VUCA means volatility, you know, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, which is basically a very good shortcut for chaos, right? And the world we are living in is, is actually in chaos. They, when people find themselves in that, their brain go into this fight, flight, and freeze response. And that actually plays out in a certain way when you are a leader, right? You know, you're supposed to do the work of leadership and you are supposed to actually disturb people at a rate they can tolerate. But when I work with my clients, I find themselves, you know, getting triggered, their amygdala getting triggered, their neurology, actual nervous system gets triggered in certain ways. And they respond to the stimuli in a very predictable way. You know, this is why I call my work, you know, people get into, when they are in a, in a chaotic environment, they fall into predictable traps, right? Mm-hmm. And they either go into the trap of having unrealistic expectations, like having too much control or, you know, wanting to make things certain, or, you know, they go into the trap of what I call innocence. They want to be seen innocence. And because they are going into control, they go into, they give away their power, you know, which end up, you know, that's the only thing you need for, you know, even though power seems to be a dirty word, even as you said, the leadership is a dirty word, power is what you need to kind of lead, you know, really lead. I just want to pull this together a little bit there because you're giving us a lot of good meat here. So I love how Mm -hmm. you said that VUCA is a shortcut to chaos. It's a quick way of describing that. And so for those who have never heard that Mm -hmm. phrase before, you explained that it means volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And that is something that a lot of people are talking about in the leadership development space. Comes from the military, that phrase, but uh, certainly it plays a role in how we are responding. And you then covered how the amygdala hijacking takes place and how that disrupts leaders. And then uh, you're folding this back into, you do something very nice with it and you fold it back into the adaptive framework. And so you cover a portion where you talk about leadership through ARIA, Can you explain to my listeners what that acronym stands for and how that helps people adapt to change? Excellent. So Ari actually comes from, again, from a neuroscientist's work on how the brain learns. And I think it's, his name is Jeffrey Schwartz and he's a lot of books out there and he's basically done a lot of work with obsessive compulsive behavior and he's, he basically says, using a framework which he calls ARIA, he was able to help these brains who actually have an obsessive-compulsive tendency 
to learn new behaviors which will actually lead them out of their their agony of being the of OCB, right? Mm-hmm. And basically, when the coaching community looked into this area, this this model. And, or other neuroscientists, when they looked into it, not the people with OCD will actually have learned this way. All brains learn this way. And actually, if you look at it, all of us, you know, with our habitual patterns, you know, because we do them kind of compulsively, you know, whatever you do out of habit, it's a compulsion. It's kind of, you do it all the time. So all the brains are actually, in a way, are compulsive. So, you know, all brains learn through ARIA, and ARIA stands for attention. That means, you know, if you want to learn something, you know, you have to pay attention first. You have to keep your attention because everyone actually moves towards, we move towards what we pay attention to, metaphorically and physically. And you have to reflect, you have to use your own brain to think about the thing that you're paying attention to, which leads to insight. You, we have a different way of understanding. We call it the contact in our Gestalt approach. You know, it's the new information. It's the new understanding. And then through that insight, we move into action, which will be an experiment, right? You know, we, it won't be great, you know, told all out, controlled stuff. It will be just, we will be experimenting something. So, you know, Dr. Schwartz says, you know, if we, you pay attention to what's going on, if you pay attention to what you want to learn, and you kind of think about it, what is going on in here, and if you come, on, come up with new understanding, new insight, and if you put into experiment, through time, you will learn new behavior, you will even cure your whatever is going on with your brain. And when I seen this, you know, when I was came across to this, I said, you know, there is no better definition of coaching what we're doing. You know, we have all these different methodologies, but this is what we do with our clients. We help them pay attention to what they need to pay attention to. You know, we actually help them reflect, you know, think about, you know, talk through and really look into the deeply of their behaviors, their results, what's really going on. And then actually we help them come into some insights and then put it into some actionable experiments. You know, that's kind of was the first step. And when I actually look at this, this is also is an excellent model for leaders, you know, who are trying to change because actually change work is learning work, especially if we're talking about adaptive change. Adaptive change means people have to learn new values, new behaviors, new stuff. So they have to be, they learn new ways of being. So if, when I work with a leader, the work of leadership becomes where the people's are, attentions, attention are. How can I help the, the people in my organization, which are important for the change effort to pay attention to the right stuff. That right stuff could be our problem, which people tend not to pay attention to. It could be the vision that we are having. It could be the gap between where we are and where we want to go. Can we pay attention to this? Can we pay attention to what's dysfunctional and needs to change? And as we pay attention to this, can we reflect together as an organization? And that reflection, you know, collective reflection, collective thinking, collective problem solving will usually, if not always, will usually have some kind of conflict. Can we be in constructive conflict with each other? And can we really have some kind of way of looking at this reflection, this conflict in a reflective way so we understand what is the path from here to the imagined future, which would lead hopefully to a state of new agreements, new insights, new collective insights. This is the way that we are going to, this is what we are agreeing to. From from current state 
to desired state. <laughs> exactly. The last part will be, can we design organizational experiments, you know, some kind of action, and keep it as an experiment, you know, not an exercise, which means, you know, we have a designed outcome we want to reach, an experiment we don't know what's going to come out. Can we do experiment with it so we can go to that future state? Good. So one of the ways we refer to that is basically to boil it all down is learning equals change. And so that strategy that you described was using attention, the A for yes. an ARIA in a strategic yes. way, enabling deep reflection, that's the R, exactly. and facilitating exactly. new insights, that's exactly. the I. And finally, the A for action is designing new behavioral experiments and action. And so it's a completely different learning model, A-R-I-A, attention, exactly. reflection, insights, and action. Well, very nice dose. It sounds like what I'm hearing through our conversation was we're talking about leading in the 21st century, leading across the globe, leading in Turkey and beyond. What we're hearing is that we all basically operate in a system. Dr. Hype has talked about that a little bit. And mm -hmm. these systems are volatile, ambiguous, complex, and uncertain. And we fall, or VUCA, and we can fall to a predictable set of errors. If we see mm -hmm. them, though, we can correct them. Exactly. Exactly. That's my approach. That's what I try to teach my clients that I try to help them become aware because, you know, I really love one of our, you know, we mentioned him a lot in this session. I mean, this is basically a keystone in my thinking. Ronald Heifetz says, most leadership errors are errors of diagnostics, right? So, I mean, I don't think just most leadership errors are errors of diagnostics. I believe most human errors are because, you know, we make falling into error because we're not seeing the whole picture. You know, we're just falling ourselves into these habitual errors and we're just acting out of not pure understanding. We're acting out of the, our own habitual patterns. And the way out is to really, you know, slow down, become aware of our own tendency to fall into these traps and if I see the traps, if I see myself, then I can really make a different choice. You know, otherwise, basically, we're just automats, you know, carrying past conditioning into future. Good. Thank you very much, Dose. So on the Keep Leading podcast, we like to always have leaders have something that they can take with them. Do you have a quote or a word of advice for those who want to keep leading? Well, exactly what I just said. You know, I would say most leadership errors are errors of diagnostics. And if I want to not fall into errors, can I stay aware? Can I stay open? Can I stay awake so I can see what's going on? I can see the VUCA, I can see the cows and find an orderly way moving through the cows. Thank yes. you. So most leadership errors are errors of diagnostics. And so we have to spend a little bit more time in our pre-work, our diagnostic work before moving in to try to repair things. And part of the reasons why Dr. Heifetz said that is he was a physician before he became one of the great leadership thinkers. And he told us about the perils that happen if a physician misdiagnoses a patient. And he gave us that analogy to pull into the leadership work. If we misdiagnose our client or organizations, and then that's at our peril. So very nice. Thank you for that quote. And we'll make sure our leaders are able to see that. We'll put that on our show notes. Speaking of the show notes, where can my listeners learn more about you? Yes. I mean, I do have a website called marefidelis.com. I have a blog that I wrote about all this stuff that we're talking about. And 
I'm just inviting people to have a look, you know, and uh, see how can these writings can help them in their leadership. Outstanding. Well, Dose, thank you so much for being a guest on the Keep Leading podcast and sharing with my listeners how they can lead in the 21st century. Thank you very much, Eddie. It has been a joy. And thank you for listening. Well, that concludes this episode, everyone. I'm Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator, reminding you that leadership is not about our title or our position. Leadership is an activity. Leadership is action. It's not the case of once a leader, always a leader. It's not a garment we put on and take off. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So whatever you're doing, always keep leading. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.